Hey, park enthusiasts. We're off to so many beautiful places this summer, but there is a place outside of the parks and forests that I want to take you to as well. In the early morning of July 1991, something laid across the railroad tracks on the outskirts of Williamston, North Carolina. But that something turned out to be a someone. In the newest season of Counterclock, I take a look at the many questions that have gone unanswered for nearly three decades around exactly how Douglas Wagg Jr. died and how he ended up on a strip of tracks so far from his home. But the longer I've studied Doug's case, the less the circumstances of his death make sense and the more potential connections to other crimes and additional mysterious deaths I've uncovered. This season of Counterclock is the most intense investigation yet. And just like me, you won't see the twists coming. Listen to new episodes of Counterclock weekly, wherever you're listening. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation, along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats to keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. Hi, park enthusiasts. I'm your host, Delia D'Ambra. And the story I have for you today takes place in the Mount Hermon area of Pike and San Isabel National Forest in Colorado. The trails around Mount Hermon showcase spectacular views of red rocks, mountain peaks, wildflowers, and wildlife. Accessing these amazing sites doesn't come easy, though. You gotta be tough and dedicated. Experience as a cyclist is a plus, too. The terrain is rugged and sometimes not marked very well, which makes getting lost on a mountainside easy to do. The people who live for this kind of challenge know the area like the back of their hand, as well as which way to point their handlebars to keep from getting seriously hurt. The dozens of hidden bike trails that surround Mount Hermon are cherished by local cyclists from the nearby towns of Palmer Lake and Monument, Colorado. On a September morning in 2017, a man from one of those towns with years of cycling experience set out for a routine biking trip he'd done hundreds of times before and was never seen alive again. At first, his friends and family assumed he'd succumb to the mountain's dangerous terrain. But when the sinister truth of what happened to him eventually surfaced, it became clear a killer was at large and able to snare one of the quickest riders roaming Mount Hermon. This is Park Predators. On the evening of Thursday, September 14th, 2017, 52-year-old Ginger Chase Watkins arrived back to her home in Palmer Lake, Colorado after a long day at work. It was her birthday, but she didn't have any big plans to celebrate that night because she and her husband, 60-year-old Tim Watkins, were waiting to have a joint celebration the following week on their second wedding anniversary. 
you know, knock out two birds with one stone kind of thing. But despite delaying their party plans, Ginger was surprised when she walked in the front door and Tim wasn't waiting for her. She didn't get a happy birthday, babe. There was no welcome home. Nothing. Initially, she figured Tim being absent was just him running late from a bike ride he told her he was going on earlier that morning, before she left for work. She also thought it was totally possible he'd ditched riding altogether and instead visited his parents or spent the night camping in the mountains somewhere, which was something he would often do without really telling anyone. But the next morning, Friday, September 15th, rolled around, and Tim was still nowhere to be found. In the hours that had passed, Ginger had done all the normal things anyone would do if you couldn't get a hold of your significant other. She tried calling his cell several times and texting him, but Tim never replied. To help put worry out of her mind, she remembered that the places Tim often liked to camp were off the grid and never had much cell service, so him not answering or calling her back made sense in that context. She continued to push aside her growing concerns and left for work to continue with her day. It wasn't until a few hours later when Tim's 25-year-old son Isaac called her that she really started to think something was wrong. Isaac told Ginger he hadn't heard from his dad in over a day. According to KOAA News, after hanging up with Isaac, Ginger immediately called Tim's employer, the Old Town Bike Shop in Colorado Springs, to see if he'd shown up for his shift as a bike mechanic. But the shop owner told Ginger that Tim had been a no-call, no-show on that Friday. That information caused Ginger to start freaking out. She told KOAA News, quote, They said he had not shown up for work, and that's when panic struck me because Tim would never, ever, ever miss a day of work, end quote. By Saturday morning, all of Tim's close friends and family realized he was missing, and they started coordinating to try and figure out what his last movements had been. One friend came forward and reported they'd last spoken with Tim on the phone at 10 a.m. on Thursday, the 14th. Tim had accidentally butt-dialed this friend, and the two of them spent a few minutes laughing about it and catching up. During that conversation, Tim said he was going to spend the day mountain biking on one of his favorite trails in Limbaugh Canyon near Mount Hermon. This news about what Tim had said on the phone was both a good and bad thing. It was good because cycling was something Tim was extremely proficient at, and he knew all the trails he rode very well. But it was also bad news to his family because it didn't make any sense that he hadn't returned yet. Everyone feared his prolonged absence meant one thing. He was gravely injured in the mountains, and his failure to contact anyone for help was a really bad sign. So to get an organized search and rescue effort going right away, Ginger called the Palmer Lake Police Department on Friday evening and officially reported Tim missing. Some source material says he was reported missing on Thursday night or even Saturday, but most articles say Friday. According to Devin O'Neill's reporting for Outside Magazine, Ginger explained to investigators that she and Tim had woken up on Thursday morning around 5.30 a.m. And while she'd gotten ready for work, Tim prepared for a bike ride. She said he'd made sure to gather his hydration pack, a yellow windbreaker, and snacks. When Ginger left for work, the two said goodbye, and that was it. Palmer Lake PD realized very quickly that their agency was not equipped to handle the magnitude of resources that were going to be needed to search for Tim. So that agency handed the case over to the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. 
But the Gazette reported that that law enforcement agency didn't send out search crews on Friday night. Instead, an unofficial search party made up of mostly Tim's friends and family went out to Mount Hermon Road to look for him. And the going wasn't easy. The trails they suspected Tim might be on were rugged and required searchers to conquer quick 2,000 feet gains in elevation in some parts. Mount Hermon Road conveniently ran through the mountain, but Tim's family knew he had a habit of avoiding that roadway when he was cycling on his own. He often chose to bike in remote, hard-to-reach areas. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, how unwise, but you've got to understand Tim. He was a bit of a living legend daredevil in the Mount Hermon cycling community. For example, he'd literally created his own map of all the single-lane mountain biking trails that were tucked away in the hillsides. His map was coveted by members of the local cycling scene. So even though it may have been a bit daring to go off the beaten path for the sake of a thrill, Tim knew what he was doing. He knew this mountain better than anyone on two feet or two wheels. Isaac had searched for his dad on Friday night, but as it grew darker and darker, he had to make the tough decision to postpone until Saturday morning. It was too dangerous to comb the mountainside at night. Plus, he didn't want to accidentally overlook anything that might be an important clue or, God forbid, walk right past an injured Tim and not see him. On Saturday, September 16th, El Paso County Sheriff's personnel, along with volunteers, picked up the task. Law enforcement used scent tracking dogs and drones to cover as much ground as possible. But again, we're talking about a vast landscape with lots of changes of elevation. There were ridges and rock formations that could have been hiding Tim and no one would know. Initially, the prevailing theory was that Tim had likely crashed his bike and was somewhere in need of serious medical care. Ginger and his friends reminded the sheriff's office that Tim was an adrenaline junkie who often pushed the limits. He loved flying downhill on his bike and cutting through tree lines, sometimes even at an unsafe pace. But a bad accident wasn't the only thing law enforcement suspected might be the reason why Tim had vanished. Outside Online reported that deputies also considered that maybe a mountain lion or some kind of large predator had attacked him while he'd been riding. Members of the cycling community told investigators that Tim had actually had a previous encounter with a mountain lion, so it wasn't that out of the realm of possibility. But the mountain lion theory quickly fizzled out due to the fact that in the 10 hours or so they'd been searching for Tim, no one had found any signs of an animal attack. No mountain lion tracks or droppings, no torn clothing, no blood trail, nothing. And I've mentioned in other episodes for this show that animal attack theories kind of always have to be considered when a person just up and vanishes in a park. But in Tim's case, it's safe to say that kind of theory was not top of the list. A scenario that had more weight, at least to the sheriff's office, was whether Tim wanted to vanish. I mean, after all, he was a grown man. He could have chosen to disappear if he wanted to. Tim's family told members of law enforcement that he'd been struggling with bouts of memory loss and with his finances. At one point in time, he'd even considered ending his own life though he promised his kids he wouldn't. According to Devin O'Neill's reporting for Outside Magazine, Tim's son Isaac was one of the first people to provide authorities with this information. He wanted to make sure the sheriff's office had everything they needed to understand where his dad might be mentally and what could drive him to seek isolation. Isaac told the publication, quote, 
I made sure the authorities knew the background, that he could be somewhere away from the trail, trying not to be found. So we were looking in some obscure places that were special to him, end quote. And Isaac wasn't the only person who believed his dad might be hiding out and trying to clear his mind. Many of Tim's friends knew he prioritized having fun and getting outdoors above all else. In fact, at times, it was something that had caused some strain in his marriage with Ginger. But by all accounts, Tim's reported misaligned priorities and obsession with the outdoors was also what made the people closest to him love him so much. Ginger told the Gazette, quote, I knew what I was getting into. I always knew I would be more financially responsible for our expenses, and I'm okay with that. I knew that. He was responsible for the fun and did a bang-up job, by the way. End quote. But the family's hope that Tim was out there and just needed some alone time in the woods for a few days before coming home faded when an ominous clue showed up along Mount Hermon Road on Saturday afternoon. A group of searchers walking along the road stumbled across a single shoe that was designed for cycling. Without hesitating, they radioed the discovery to law enforcement. And when deputies arrived, they took a picture of it and sent that picture to Ginger so she could tell them whether the shoe belonged to Tim or not. And as soon as Ginger looked at the photo, she knew it was her husband's. She'd purchased the same kind of shoe for Tim during a trip they'd taken to Moab. The shoe was a special kind of footwear tailored for Tim. You see, he'd injured both of his feet years earlier in a freak accident when he'd fallen from a cable tower and absorbed the impact in both of his feet. The accident had severely shattered bones in both of his feet and ankles, and doctors had repaired the bones the best they could, but Tim was permanently disfigured from the accident. As a result, one of the only activities he could still do well was cycling, which is part of the reason why he loved it so much and pushed himself to the limits. Without his shoes, Tim could barely walk, so the fact that one of them was in the roadway wasn't a good sign. His family knew that wherever he was, he was likely limping or not walking at all. The whole thing was just bizarre. They knew he would never just leave one shoe behind. A few hours after the shoe was found, searchers came across Tim's mountain bike, laying on its side near the trailhead for Limbaugh Canyon. It was tucked behind some brush, sort of hidden from view. When the group examined it, they saw that the front tire was flat. To give you some context, the distance between where the bike was found and where his shoe had been found was less than a mile. When night fell on Saturday, the search was paused but started up again Sunday morning. Since Tim's shoe and bike had been found so close together, authorities focused their search efforts in a one to two mile radius around those spots, which proved to be the right call because by mid-morning on Sunday, search teams had located more of Tim's belongings scattered along Mount Hermon Road. A half a mile from where his shoe had been discovered was Tim's cell phone case, a grocery store card that belonged to him, and some other random items from his wallet. Tim's stuff being scattered a good distance from his shoe and his bike gave everyone a bad feeling. It didn't make sense for the items to be so far apart. It looked as if they'd been tossed out of a car window, not left behind by Tim. The Gazette reported that within an hour of that stuff being found, search teams stumbled upon a man's body. According to KKTV News, around 11.45 a.m. on Sunday, a scent tracking dog picked up Tim's scent, 
but according to that Gazette article I just mentioned, it was actually a person who located the body. The dog followed Tim's scent about 50 feet away from where his bike had been found to a pile of leaves, and then a person had followed the dog's trail. And when deputies pulled back twigs and debris, they found the lifeless body of a man with distinctive red hair partially buried in a four-by-three-foot hole. It was Tim. As a Park Predators listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case, we've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation, whether you're at home or away on a trip. That's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe wraps your whole home in protection with sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. I can't even begin to tell you guys how much peace of mind our indoor and outdoor cameras have brought me and my husband over the years. We recently were out of town and we just got this feeling that we wanted to check on our house. You know, that feeling that maybe you get on a trail somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you want to know, hey, what's going on? So we looked at our indoor Simply Safe camera and everything just felt so much better. We could see that actually nothing was wrong, but at least we had that peace of mind. And for as long as I've been partnering with Simply Safe, I've told you that it has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. And I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/parks. That's simplysafe.com/parks. There's no safe like Simply Safe. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As soon as Tim's body was uncovered, it was clear to the authorities that he'd been murdered. The way his body had been concealed with debris was proof that someone else had done this to him. According to reporting by Outside Magazine, authorities found some superficial bullet wounds on one of his ears and hands that indicated two shots had grazed him, likely before he'd been killed. Those clues caused investigators to wonder if perhaps Tim had tried to run or defend himself from whoever had attacked him. None of the source material states whether the murder weapon was found near his body, but that's probably because law enforcement has been extremely tight-lipped about the crime scene-specific details in this case. An example of this protective secrecy is the fact that after Tim's body was sent to the county coroner's office for an autopsy, the findings were never released. And to this day, law enforcement officials are the only ones that have laid eyes on them. The Gazette has made repeated attempts to get the autopsy report published, but an El Paso County judge has blocked access. A few articles I found reported that Tim's cause of death was a gunshot wound from a 22 caliber firearm, but I don't know where these writers for those publications got that information. 
What has been made public is that when Tim was found, a bag he always carried with him was still on his person, and inside of it was a banana that didn't appear to have been eaten, which suggested to authorities that he didn't get too far on his ride before he'd been killed. Missing from Tim's body were his hydration pack, windbreaker, helmet, phone, shoes, and socks. Now, we know one of those shoes was found on Mount Hermon Road, but whatever happened to its matching pair, nobody knows. Isaac, Tim's son, speculated that robbery might have been the motive, but that theory didn't quite make sense. If whoever killed Tim wanted his stuff, why didn't they take the most expensive thing he had, which was the bike? Even a person with no knowledge of the cycling world would be able to guess that the mountain bike was the most valuable thing Tim had with him. My husband is a cycling junkie too, and he has a really nice triathlon bike which we keep under lock and key because of how valuable it is. So someone robbing Tim of his jacket, hydration pack, shoes, and helmet, but not his bike, seems super strange. And while I'm on the topic of whether the killer knew the value of cycling gear or not, I want to mention something else that I found really interesting. Tim's shoe, the one that had been found, had a unique style of lacing, or rather lack of lacing. It had straps instead of laces. This is common with cycling shoes. Many of them clip into pedals, but Tim's reportedly didn't clip in. However, they were still kind of strange looking and not like a normal tennis shoe. When the shoe was found, the strap was tight, almost like whoever had removed it had not known how to loosen it before taking it off. This theory indicated that the killer or killers removed the shoes from Tim after his death and probably just yanked them off his feet instead of taking them off the normal way. Why they left the one behind, though, and not the other was a total mystery. Either way, police didn't really have anywhere to start except to keep robbery as the motive. They pieced together their very small timeline they had of Tim's movements and began interviewing people close to him to learn as much information as possible. According to Ellie Mulder's reporting for the Gazette, El Paso County Sheriff's Office received more than 150 tips after Tim's body was found, but unfortunately, each one of those led to a dead end. Everyone in the community wanted to help find the person who'd done this. They wanted justice for Tim, but they also wanted a killer off their streets. Many people were afraid that if this could happen to Tim, it could happen to any one of them, too. While the homicide investigators trudged on, friends and family and Tim's fellow cyclists came out by the hundreds on Saturday, September 23rd. As a way of celebrating his life, people from Palmer Lake rode their bikes around the town wearing shirts that said, hashtag be like Tim. The processional was one of the most unique ways I've ever heard of a community member being honored. Tim was someone everyone felt like they knew. He'd become a pillar in the local cycling scene after opening his own bike shop in the town of Monument in the early 2000s. He'd called his store Balanced Rock Bike and Ski. That was the place he'd met and fell in love with Ginger. And his passion for cycling went far beyond just people and repairing equipment. He religiously rode in the Mount Hermon area to maintain the trails. His friends said he would often carry gardening tools with him on his rides, just in case he saw a spot on a trail that needed flattening or filling. He wanted others to be safe and feel safe while venturing in that part of Colorado. 
No one who knew him could understand why somebody would want to end his life in such a brutal way. Law enforcement's lack of progress to find a suspect caused Tim's family and the community to start speculating theories of their own. According to reporting by the Gazette, the Mount Hermon area was often used by recreational shooters. The specific area that Tim was known to bike in was called Shooter's Alley. And that was because there were so many incidents of stray bullets striking people along that part of the canyon. In 2014, the U.S. Forest Service banned recreational shooting after several visitors had been hurt. But despite the government's ban being in place, recreational gun users still target shot in that area. Some of this behavior may have been ignorant visitors from out of town who weren't aware of the shooting ban. But a lot of it was deliberate disregard for the new law. There had been numerous incidents where no shooting signs in Limbaugh Canyon had been shot up, seemingly in acts of defiance. So several of Tim's loved ones wondered if perhaps he'd been shot accidentally while riding. Then whoever had done it decided to hide his body so they wouldn't get in trouble. And remember, he did have those two superficial grazing wounds to his ear and hand, which line up with maybe having bullets whiz by him, But what doesn't add up with that theory is the fact that he had multiple bullet wounds to his chest. Like, I don't know how you accidentally shoot a person multiple times in the chest. But anyway, the makeshift grave he was buried in could have been someone hiding him out of fear of repercussions, or someone could have been hiding him because they were covering their tracks and they had intended to kill him. Tim's friends and family have told news outlets that they don't necessarily think it was an accidental shooting, but they do think it's possible a recreational shooter was involved somehow. Their strongest theory is that maybe Tim encountered someone breaking the law in Limbaugh Canyon, and he felt he needed to intercede. Mount Hermon was Tim's second home, and his kids say he was not someone who would just observe injustice and let it slide. He wasn't afraid to tell people what he thought. So it's hard not to wonder whether he came across the wrong person at the wrong time who was willing to kill him. Speculation ran wild in the days after the crime, which wasn't much help to law enforcement. But then one substantial lead did surface that helped investigators narrow their focus. According to Jessica Light's reporting for KKTV, while searching for Tim but before his body had been found, one of his close friends had noticed a red car with Indiana plates driving back and forth along Mount Hermon Road. The driver had passed searchers so many times that Tim's friend felt like it was suspicious, so he took a photo of the car and its license plate and handed it over to police. The source material isn't super clear how law enforcement followed up on the tip, but somehow El Paso County Sheriff's deputies connected the car to 31-year-old Daniel Nations, a convicted sex offender living in the nearby town of Woodland Park. On September 25th, eight days after Tim was found, authorities in Woodland Park pulled Daniel over in a traffic stop. Coincidentally, El Paso County investigators and Woodland Park police were both interested in speaking with Daniel. A man matching his description had been threatening hikers and cyclists with a hatchet in the Mount Hermon area weeks earlier. Those reports indicated the menacing man was seen driving none other than a red Chevy Prism sedan with Indiana license plates. 
When police pulled Daniel over, he had his wife and two kids in the car, along with a 22 caliber rifle and hatchet. Authorities arrested him for being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm, suspicion of felony menacing, and reckless endangerment related to the hatchet threats. They used their time with him while he sat in jail on those charges to question him about Tim's murder. But Daniel didn't cooperate. He's never been named an official suspect in Tim's case, but he's also never been cleared. Some of you listening might recognize Daniel's name, And that's because back in 2018 and 2019, he had been at the top of Indiana investigators' person of interest list for the notorious unsolved double murder that happened in February 2017 in Delphi, Indiana. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Angela. The investigation into the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams on February 13, 2017, have been publicized around the world. The young girls were found dead in the woods near a historic bridge in their hometown, within 24 hours of being reported missing. Similar to Tim's case, Libby and Abby's autopsy results were sealed from public view. According to Dwight Adams and Joe Mustachio's reporting for the Indy Star, just one day after their bodies were discovered, police released an image and short video clip found on Libby's cell phone. The grainy picture showed some general features of a man and the clothing he was wearing, and the audio clip plays his voice saying the words, down the hill. The case was covered extensively after Indiana police released a composite sketch of the man from the cell phone picture. Hundreds of false leads came in over the years, but one wasn't a total dead end. You see, at one point, Daniel Nation's mugshot had been compared to the sketch, and it was similar enough that investigators in Delphi had looked into him as a possible suspect. The Gazette newspaper did a whole timeline comparison of what Daniel's movements were based on information from his parole officer, and I gotta say, it was really compelling. Basically, beginning in 2017, Daniel regularly checked in with his parole officer in Indiana and never missed a meeting. But just one day after the composite sketch in the Delphi case was released, a warrant was issued for his arrest because he left his registered address in Indiana and failed to register at a new one. The next time he popped up on anyone's radar was in the fall of 2017 in Woodland Park, Colorado, after he was picked up for matching the description of the man who'd been seen threatening visitors with a hatchet. 
Daniel was never officially named a suspect in the Delphi case, and it's been widely reported that another man, Richard Matthew Allen, was arrested for the girls' murders. He was taken into custody in 2022. But back to how Daniel relates to Tim's case, Outside Online reported that Caitlin Nations, his ex-wife, told the Gazette that she purchased a 22 rifle a week before Tim Watkins was killed, and Daniel did have access to it. The Colorado Gazette interviewed Daniel, who later said the allegations against him were, quote, preposterous and I'm not what they made me out to be, end quote. Outside's article also reported that detectives from El Paso County told Tim's family that they were unable to forensically link Daniel or his DNA to Tim's case. Reportedly, the results of ballistics tests from the bullets found in Tim were inconclusive because the rounds were so damaged. But that same article also states that it's unknown if Daniel Nations ever submitted DNA, so who knows? Unfortunately, the rest of 2017 dragged on and the new year passed, but other than the brief focus on Daniel Nations, El Paso County Sheriff's Office had made little progress. According to Lance Bensel's reporting for the Denver Gazette, in July 2018, the newspaper pushed hard for the coroner's office to release the results of Tim's autopsy. But ultimately, the judge in that case sided with the coroner's office and blocked it from being released. As much as I wish we could know what's in it, I understand why police don't want that information public. There must be something that the coroner found regarding Tim's injuries or maybe regarding DNA that only the killer may know, and police just don't want to blow their case. In August of 2018, authorities organized another ground search near where Tim's body was found to try and turn up more clues. But nothing came from that. The fact that investigators even went out there, though, almost a year after the crime, makes me think they were looking for something specific, something that maybe relates to information gleaned from Tim's autopsy. I don't know, but that's what I think is probable. On September 2nd, 2018, a few weeks before the one-year anniversary of Tim's death, the rumor mill in Palmer Lake kicked into high gear. And that's because a 20-year-old Palmer Lake native named Kevin Rudnicki vanished from Limbaugh Canyon after going on a morning hike alone. Brianna Gent reported for the Tribune that Kevin was last seen by one of his former middle school teachers on Trail 715, which was the same route Tim had been killed and buried on. The El Paso County Sheriff's Office searched for Kevin throughout September, October, and November, but they had no luck. Then, on December 12, 2018, a search dog discovered his remains not far from where he'd last been seen. I couldn't find what Kevin's cause and manner of death were ruled, but based on everything that's out there about him, it doesn't appear law enforcement thinks foul play was involved. But in 2018, when attention to Kevin's case came alongside the anniversary of Tim's unsolved murder, well, that weighed pretty heavily on Palmer Lake residents. But then, after that, things calmed down. 2019 came and went, and there was no new information. The only media coverage I saw that Tim's case got was a short blurb reiterating the basic facts, along with a number for the sheriff's office. In September of 2021, Ginger, Tim's wife, spoke to Colette Bordelon for KOAA News. And she reminisced about her and Tim's friendship that eventually grew into romance. 
She talked about what it was like meeting his children and feeling like she'd gotten an entire family overnight after marrying him. Speaking about how much Tim's death had impacted her, she said, quote, Somebody has answers, and we would like them, frankly. It's devastating to know, and it's hard for me to even live here and know that there's somebody out there that has all our information and has taken away this beautiful person, this husband, father, grandfather, brother, son, and just upended our lives, end quote. Tim's family has tried to work through their pain and grief by taking up the sport he loves so much. His daughter, Ariel, published a social media post in July 2022 that read in part, quote, This may not seem like a big deal for anyone else, but it is for me. I am really proud of myself. I went on my first solo bike ride since my dad was shot and killed while riding his bike on one of his favorite trails. I wasn't sure I was going to ride again. This bike was built by my dad, so it felt like he was with me every pedal of the way. Even felt his hand on my back on the hills, like when I was a kid. End quote. Tim's friends seemed to share that same sentiment. They told news outlets that even though it's hard to ride without Tim these days, they do it anyway to honor him and feel his presence again. They keep an eye out for one another and the environment while on their cycling trips, just like Tim did. Today, a memorial sculpture dedicated to Tim stands in Palmer Park in Colorado. It's a replica of a bike he often rode. Another small memorial still sits on one of his favorite trails on Mount Hermon. Ginger told News 5 that she no longer goes to Limbaugh Canyon because it hurts too much. She told the news station, quote, I see him in every sunset. I see him anywhere out here. Outside was Timmy's church, end quote. David Watkins, Tim's brother, spoke to KOAA News at the sculpture's unveiling in the park and said, quote, If you reach down and pick up a piece of garbage somewhere, think of Tim. You're helping Tim out because he was always about cleaning trails and cleaning places up and making it safe to ride for the other people, end quote. Though cycling was Tim's greatest passion, it was his huge heart that everyone remembers most about him. In the years since his murder, grandkids have been born who he'll never get to meet. His son Isaac told the Gazette that he personally wants justice more than anything, but reminded readers that his dad would never seek payback or ill will for the person who took his life. Isaac told the newspaper, quote, Humility, love, and forgiveness were just really strong attributes of him. If you have any information about the murder of Tim Watkins or were in the Mount Hermon area on September 17th, 2017, please call the El Paso County Sheriff's Office tip line. That number is 719-520-6666. Park Predators is an Audio Chuck original show. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. 
with more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from 50 to $500. Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom, an official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it.